we're going into uh, a three-week series called Go Fishing. How many people love fishing? Put your hand up if you love fishing. Come on, be responsive this morning. Hand up if you love fishing. How many of you actually like fishing, but in reality you just go boating? Because you never catch anything. Yeah, come on. And so I'm really excited over the next three weeks as we go through this whole thing about go fishing, that God will really speak to you and help you. Because there's something that I want to show you this morning, that when, when Jesus called his disciples, he actually called his disciples with an agenda. When, when God actually calls you to follow him, he, he calls you with an agenda. He, he says, come follow me and I will, and, and he says, I will make you. And, and most of us, when we start to follow Christ because of where we come from, we, we hope that he will make us a better person, yeah? Or uh, uh, a better husband or a better wife. Or a, a more obedient child. I feel, I feel the word of the Lord on the obedient child part. Can I get an amen from parents this morning? Thank you. Maybe, maybe God will make me smarter. Uh, maybe God will make me better looking. Doesn't get much better than this, but maybe God will make me a better businessman. Maybe God will make me something. God's going to make me something. When you follow Jesus... He will make you something. See, God always has an agenda to your following. And it says this in Mark verse 1. It says, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew cast in a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. I don't know about you, but if I was... You know, one of the guys that was being called then, he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll be like, fishers of what? Like, fishers of men, what, we're meant to, what, grab some men, gut them, fillet them, scale them. Like, what, what does this mean, fishers of men? Like, how does, that, how does that look? What does it talk about? Really, what Jesus is saying here to them, that to follow is to fish. To follow is to fish, and followers fish. Now, some of you might be like, but when I became a Christian, I didn't sign up to this. I didn't sign up to do this. I didn't sign up to fish people. I, I signed up so that I could go to heaven and not to hell. If we're really honest with ourselves, when we first come to Christ, the main reason we come is because we want to be saved from our sin and go to heaven and not hell. That's the main reason why we come to him. And the thing is, is we all start following Jesus for what he can do for us, yes? We all start following him because what he can do for us. He can transform us. He can change us. He can uh, work in our lives in such a way that we start to reflect the very image of the creator that we were created in. And we love following Jesus because life becomes better when he gets involved. God starts to bring healing and restoration to our lives. And, 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 and none of us started out following Jesus so that we could fish for people. No one comes to a decision of, I want to give my life to Christ so that I can fish people. It's not in our thinking when we start to follow him. The disciples, like us, followed him because of what they saw him do. The miracles that he did, the stuff that he did, and they, they thought to themselves, at first they thought, this is a rabbi that we want to follow, 
But after a while, they realized that he was the son of God because of all the stuff that he was doing. And they wanted to follow him because of what he had, what he had done. And it's the same reason why we start to follow Christ, because of what he does for us, because of what he has done in our lives. And, and I don't know a single person in this room that hasn't been following Christ for a period of time that is not thankful for what Christ has done in our lives. Yeah? The change that he has made in our lives. Everything you go through, everything that you experience in life, though, is to make you fishes of men. Everything you go through, every experience you go through, is to make you fishes of men. Why? Because God is an expert at taking the temporal things, the mundane things that we do in our lives, and give them eternal worth. Give them eternal significance by placing you through those things, through your experiences, through the stuff that you've gone through, just through life, just through the mundane things of life. God uses those things to place you in the right place at the right time to be a fisherman of that person in your workplace, a fisherman of that person in your school, a fisherman of that person in your neighborhood, a fisherman of that person in your sports team, or even a fisherman of that person in the supermarket checkout who has two, tr two trolley fills of toilet paper. Man, there's some nuts out there, eh? I'm here to tell you this morning that God will perfectly, perfectly position you in somebody else's life. Perfectly. Position you in somebody else's life for this express purpose of you to fish. Come on. God will use all your successes. God will use all of your failures. God will use your everyday mundane things and give them eternal worth in somebody else's life. Why? Because followers become fishermen. Well, it's easy for you to say, Craig, because you're the pastor and that's kind of your job. Yeah? Come on, I know that's the way that some people think. That's what we pay you to do. But here's the thing. Some people are like, well, that's all right for you because that's your job, but you don't understand my, my past is too bad. Like, my past is so horrendous, I could, I could never tell somebody. Or, or my past is too good, I actually never really did anything wrong. I was a goody two-shoes my whole entire life. So what kind of testimony? We have all these excuses as to why we can't um, go fishing for people. But the thing is, is that every single person on the face of this planet, whether they be good, bad, or ugly, have the potential to fish because God uses your life to position you around somebody else that needs to hear about who he is. You see, the key thing in all of this is, he says, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. In other words, it's a process, it's not a method. As you follow me, I'll develop you and I'll help you and we'll walk this process where you become a fisher fisherman of people, or a fish, I don't know how to say, a fisherwoman of people, whatever, a fisher of people, that God will help you to become that as you follow him, that he will teach you that you will walk. It's not a method. See, the most problem, the reason why most people say, man, I'd never tell anyone about what, 
about the Lord or invite them to church or anything like that because I don't know the five-step process of doing that. I, I want to I tell you this one. It's not a five-step method. It's just a process of letting your life and what God is doing with you put you in the right place at the right time. I mean, and I'll give you an example of how most of you found out about God and ended up becoming a follower of Christ. Just about every single one of us, these three things happen. First of all, you've probably had already heard the message of salvation. You've probably heard of it sometime. Maybe you went to Sunday school when you were little. Maybe at some stage you heard about how God loves you and died on the cross for your sin. Most people have already heard it before they accept it. The second thing that happens is it wasn't so much the message, but it was the messenger. It was the person that told you that got a grip on you. There was something about them that you loved or you admired and there's something about them that you wanted. It wasn't so much the message, it was more the messenger that grabbed your attention. And so you've already heard, probably at some stage, about how God loves you and died on the cross for you. Then you come across a person in your life the messenger that attracts you to them because there's something about them that you want to know. And then the third thing takes place, and that is your circumstances of your life actually position you in a place where you actually start to ask the messenger, hey, how come, how come when that happened to you, you, you didn't turn to alcohol or drugs? How come when that happened to you, that, how come your marriage is, how come... You don't seem to struggle for it. How, how come when you were diagnosed with cancer, you didn't panic? How come? How, how? So the circumstance of their lives positions them with a messenger of a message they've already heard. And those two, three things work together to cause somebody to find Jesus. Because it's not just the messenger. It's not just the message, sorry. And it's not just the messenger, but it's the current circumstances of that person's life that makes them a prime candidate to be caught. And so God wants to leverage your everyday thing, your past, your good, your bad, your ugly. God wants to leverage it so that you're able to fish and help people that have been where, that are where you have been and need to find the Savior in the middle of their circumstance. And so the prayer that we need to pray is not a prayer of God, help me get right, help me come up with this method of how I'm going to do this, but our prayer should be really this simple, God, come and use the good, the bad, the ugly, the mundane, whatever it is that you need to do so that I would be positioned in somebody's circumstance at the right time and the right place for them to be caught. You see, I want to encourage some of you with some homework. We don't normally give homework out on a Sunday. It's not school, but this will bless you. I think what will help you to understand this will be for you to do three things this week. First of all, I want you to write a letter to thank the person who led you to Christ. Because we forget. It was somebody. You know, this week is... As we launch Revive um, Pukekohe and all that sort of stuff, there was a lady that made a comment on, on the video that we did of announcing the name change. Her name used to be Lorraine Ears. It's 
it still is, Lorraine is. Lorraine Taylor is her name now. And when Trinity was a teenager and she was completely away from God and her parents had decided to ground her because of her one or two indiscretions, I find it hard to believe that there was any because she's an angel in my eyes. But she was uh, stuck at home, grounded, and Lorraine went to church. And so Lorraine invited Trinity to church one Sunday night, and Trinity's parents kind of thought that sending her to church might be more of a punishment than it would be anything else. And Trinity was prepared to go because it got her out of the house. But here's the crazy thing. In that meeting, at the end of it, when the altar call came, Trinity walked to the front and gave her life to Jesus Christ, and her life changed all because Lorraine put herself in the right place at the right time. It wasn't about the messenger, or it wasn't even about the message. It was just about somebody who made an invitation to come. And because of the circumstances of her life, of being grounded and bored out of her brain, she decided to go to church, and God met her. And her life changed from that day because of Lorraine. Somebody changed your life. Somebody spoke to you. It might have been your parent. It might have been a neighbor. It might have been a friend. It might have been somebody. But somebody, I want you to write them a letter and thank them for leading you to Christ. Why? To remind you, first of all, that you were fish once. That you too were a fish that needed to be caught. That God was chasing after you. And to remind you that somebody was fishing for you. That somebody, you know, I don't know how many people I have met over the years who have said, you know, if it wasn't for my grandmother's prayers, I wouldn't be here today. Somebody has been praying for you. Somebody has been believing for you. Somebody talked to you. Somebody invited you. Somebody was, was a fisherman when you were a fish. And, and I want to encourage you, why don't you write them a letter and thank them because your life has been transformed because of them. It's been changed because of what they've done. Why fish? Because we can't leave people in the state that they're in. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. For God so loved the, the people, the drunks and the, and the drug addicts and the abusers and the people that are down and out and those that have, because God so loved people because God's heart broke when he saw the brokenhearted, because God's heart broke when he saw those that were depressed and down and out. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, why? So that he could restore, so that he could bring them back to his original intention of how he created us to be, which is prospering and thriving and, and, and not surviving in life, but thriving in life. And it requires you and I to turn around and go, you know what, I am so thankful that somebody did that for me. I need to do the same for someone else. I can't afford to sit back in my chair because God doesn't want you to be a great prayer of prayers and a great attendant of services, he wants you to become a fisher of men and women and children, young and old, those that need him because their lives so desperately need you. You see, in Acts chapter 3, there's a man who used to be at this place called Gate Beautiful. He was lame, they say, from his birth. He had never walked and his friends used to drop him off at the gate every single day so that he could sit there and beg for money and beg for people to help him. You know, great intention by the friends to drop him at the gate every day, but dropping him at the gate was never going to save his life. 
until Peter and John walked up one day on their way to the temple as they normally would. And he looks at them and he, he asks them, doesn't even look at them, he asks them for money. And Peter says this to him, he says, hey, look at us. Look at us. And he lifts his eyes and he looks at them and, and they say, hey, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man gets up and he walks and he starts leaping and jumping around the temple and everybody knows that this guy was lame because they walk past him every day while he's at the gate beautiful at a beautiful place but in a really bad place at the same time and here he is leaping and jumping around and then all the Pharisees and all the religious people start to get upset because it was a Sunday for starters the Sabbath day and you don't apparently you don't heal people on the Sabbath day so any healings that you need to take place in your life, just wait for Monday, 8 a.m., Monday mornings, that's when, apparently, that's what religious people believe. And next minute, before you know it, Peter and John are telling people, hey, this is, this is being done by God, not by us, and starts preaching a message and all this, and then all the religious people of the day start to get a little bit upset with them and decide to bring them before them. And in Acts 4, we see that, the story goes on and it says, then they called them in again and commanded them. This is the, the religious people. This is the, the Christians of the day called them in and commanded, this is Peter and John, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Ask for us. We, as for us, sorry, in verse 20, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're like, hey, shut up, stop talking about Jesus. Don't you dare speak about Jesus. Doesn't that sound like society today? You can have your beliefs, just don't share them with me while they share all of their beliefs with you. Come on. Why? Because it's the name of Jesus that changes lives. The enemy knows it, and so he doesn't want it to be talked about. He doesn't have a problem if you're talking about CrossFit. How do you know if somebody does CrossFit? You don't have to ask, they'll tell you. <laughs> Come on. You can believe it. You can even raise your children to believe it. Just don't speak to me about it. Just don't bring it up with me. You be quiet. And here's, here's Peter and John saying, no, no, you, you don't understand. How can we, how can we not help speaking about what we have seen and heard? We, we can't stop talking about what Christ has done, what he has done in us, what we have seen and done in others. We, how, how can we stop talking about that? It's so life-changing. It's so liberating. It's so transforming. You want me to be, I can't be quiet about that. He has changed my life. You see, the problem is here is that the Pharisees, the religious people, wanted to have a theological argument about whether it could be people could be healed in the name of Jesus. And here's the problem that we get ourselves into. Well, I don't have the answers to their questions. Friend, fishing is not a theological argument. It's talking about what you have seen and experienced Christ done in you. You, you, you can argue with someone um, logically until the cows come home, but you can't argue with someone that's had an experience. You can't argue, I don't have all the answers, but I know this, that he healed me. 
I don't have all the answers, but I know this, he restored my marriage. I don't have all the answers, but I know this, I was abused as a child and he healed me and he restored me and now I'm whole again. You, you can't argue with somebody that's had an experience and here's the disciples saying, you may not want us to talk, but we cannot help but talk about everything that he, we have seen him do, not just in us, but in those around us. I'm sorry, we've had an experience and your theological argument doesn't conquer my experience. I once had a guy say to me, well, if God loves everybody so much, then how come places like Ethiopia have so much drought and people are dying? And so my response to him was, okay, so if God solves all the drought in the world tomorrow, will you follow him? Of course, the answer is no. It's not about the drought. It's about them just trying to create an excuse for why they don't follow I took it as encouraging that he was actually looking for Christ because he started to ask me a question, even though it was one of those, can God lift a rock that's too big for him to lift? I don't know, can your face handle the impact of a fist? Uh, sorry, it's just my sense of humor. I can remember once talking to a guy once, and he goes, oh, it doesn't matter what you say, I'll never believe you. And I said, well, if you don't believe that God is real, then you'll be okay with me just praying for you, yeah? Oh, I don't know about that. I said, well, if he's not real, what's a prayer going to do? Is it going to hurt you? No, I can't hurt him because he's not real. So can I pray for you then? This was that youth. All right, all right then. Me and this other guy put our hands on him. Boof, he goes down under the power of God, jumps back up. What did you do to me? You see, I said, we didn't do anything. That was God. That guy gave his life to Christ. Why? Because you can't deny the experience of what God did in his life. People can say whatever they want, but it can't be denied what God has done in you, what God has done for you. And, and instead of getting into a theological argument and trying to answer all their questions, why don't you just talk about what God has done for you? What God has done for others. I don't have all the answers to people's questions or all the answers to the skeptics. But the issue is not my belief system versus their belief system. That's not what the issue is. The issue is, did something happen in your life when you gave your life to Christ? And if the answer is yes, it doesn't matter what the belief systems are because I've experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John are saying, hey man, this is what we saw. We've seen this. We have to talk about it. What they saw was so huge that they're willing to risk their lives for it and here's the thing, it's, it isn't about what I believe it is about, it's what I saw and it's what I heard. And they go on and earlier, before they get to this point in the story, which I've already mentioned to you, it says in verse 5, The next day the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anias the high priest was there and so was Cepheus and John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name do you do these things? Because, of course, they said to us, in the name of Jesus is what we did it in. And of course, they didn't like that very much. And then it goes on in verse 8, and it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and we are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that 
this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. And it goes on in verse 13, and it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unskilled, ordinary men. Boy, that gives me great hope, doesn't it? Well, somebody... Oh, Assuming you're all unschooled. Gives me great hope. They were astonished. And listen to this. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, it wasn't their theological intellect that got these guys noticing. It was their courage. It was their conviction because they had experienced the power and the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And they looked at them and they said they took note that they have been with Jesus. I want to tell you, when you let your life shine out, when you let the things that you have gone through, the experiences, the transformation that God has done in your life start to shine outside of you, people take note that you've been with Jesus. They start to see that you have been with Him. We have to fish because the message our salvation is not intuitive. It's not automatic. People don't realize it. People don't get to grips with it. It's not naturally perceived message. And we have to fish because the message of forgiveness is not a message where you can sit under a tree and look at your navel and come up with it on your own. You can think about God. You can study Him. You can read all sorts of stuff about God. And, and I'll tell you what will happen. You might get to a place where you think that there is a God and He's a good God. But there won't be any transformation that takes place until you invite Him into your life. You'll just think He's a good God like all the other good gods out there that people believe. There's a good and evil in the world. And there's a life and death and some sort of eternity. That's what you'll come to if you try to do this on your own. You might get halfway there on your own, but you'll never fully figure out all of it unless somebody tells you, unless somebody shares with you the experience of the life-transforming power of Christ. Left to your own devices, you'll come to the same conclusion as all the other religions, that there is a God and that as long as I'm good, it doesn't matter what I follow. As long as I'm good, it will lead to God. Without somebody sharing, that's your destination. As long as I'm good. And you just hear that in people's voices, yeah? I, I've lived a good life. I haven't done anything wrong. I hear, I hear Christians say this. That person would be a better Christian than most Christians. And that might be true, but they're not. Because people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. People that have had someone talk to them about Christ, someone who has been fished. The thing is, is what we have is unique and different from all the others because what we believe is that by no other name, no other name, you'll find salvation. What we believe is not in a religion. What we believe is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son 
of the living God, that he is raised from the dead. He is not buried somewhere, but he is alive and he's living. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and abides on the inside of us, that resurrection power. And as we start to share the story of that resurrection power and what it's done in our lives, when the person's in the right circumstance, all of a sudden you're the right person in the right place at the right time to fish for that person that's around you. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Buddha won't do it for you. None of others will do it for you as the band comes. By no other name, no other name, Peter said, there's no other name by which you can be saved. But by Jesus Christ of Nazareth, people will never know the forgiveness of God unless somebody tells them the forgiveness that they have experienced. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't think that you can't do this. It's a great quote. You've probably heard it a thousand times, but I love it. Francis of Assisi said this, I preach the gospel at all times, and sometimes I use words. Just let your life position yourself in your workplace, in your school, in your community, wherever you, amongst your friends, just be there. Be present. Because I can tell you right now that at some stage they're going to go through something in their lives which will cause them to start to question, is there a God? Is there a God? And you'll be the right person in the right place at the right time. And before you know it, you have become a fisher of men. It's not about going out there with a bullhorn and standing on the corner of a street and going, yeah, filthy rotten sinners. I'm sorry. This is probably my personal preference, but I I really don't like bullhorn evangelism. When I walk down Queen Street and you've got people yelling and screaming at people about how much Jesus loves them while they yell and scream at them about how much sin they have, I, I just want to go and punch them in the face. Because I don't see anywhere in Scripture that Jesus ever went up to the sinner and yelled and screamed at them. The only people that Jesus got angry with were the religious Christians of the day. All the sinners. He, and then what it says about them, that they felt comfortable to be around him. There he is sitting with Matthew, the tax collector, the lowest of lows, and all the prostitutes having dinner in his house with all the, all the people that need Jesus. Meanwhile, all the religious people are outside the house criticizing him for being with the people that need Jesus. I heard someone say this once about Greg Laurie. He's a great evangelist. Another pastor said this, oh, yeah, but he doesn't preach a true gospel. So I just kind of said to them, when was the last time you saw 20,000 people give their lives to Christ in one month? Oh, oh. I'm sorry, but maybe the gospel, your true gospel, is just a worthless one because no one's been transformed by it. So you're just going to let your life speak. Don't, don't worry about getting all the, the method in place and this is theologically correct. And just let what God has done in you come out of your mouth and be done in somebody else. That's it. 
It's just sharing your story. Evangelism is just an invitation to come. And I want to encourage you that as we go through this month and as next week we talk about this some more and we're going to, we're going to help you, right? I'm just going to land this thing and go out there and talk to people and you're like, I don't know what to say. Because I don't know about you, but it's like, how do you start a conversation like that, yes? It's like, just walk up to somebody at work and go, if you died today, this is the old school evangelism, yeah? If you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And what would the guy's response be? F off. Trying to get some work done here. Best thing that you can do is invest in someone before you invite them. Take them out for lunch. Invest into them. Spend some time, get to know them. Build a connection before we bring a correction, yeah? Come on, that's the best evangelism you can ever do is take someone out for coffee or out for lunch, build relationship with them so that when they go through that difficult time, they think, man, who should I turn to in this moment? I know I should turn to Jono because Jono's solid and I know he's got a great, and I, I'm gonna turn, I'm gonna talk to him. And all of a sudden you realize that you've become a fisher of men because you put yourself in the right place at the right time. We're not ramming Jesus down people's throats. We're just letting our lives speak and our experience transform them in the process. And every single one of us can do that. Every single one of us can do that.